0: That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW group void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. We're talking centimetres. Hello and welcome to episode 42. Yes, if you're marking your scorecards now, that's 40 plus 2 on the Real Football Cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, While well, in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye, and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's time for another afternoon recording, and after doing some scouting work from me last week, Carl is firmly back in the saddle. So, Carl, how have you been, mate?
0: Yeah, really good, man. I'm um, looking forward to this one. We've got some really good uh, topics to discuss, so uh, can't wait to get going.
1: We certainly have. So, before we do all that, i best do some social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking to the abyss once more. So, first... If you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Stan Tracy 1983 anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast, and if you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Or the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loser Paul. And what is Loser Paul, I hear you ask. It's the company behind the new game, Last Man Standing, one which is free to enter If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds of winning are great, they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to the Championship for a change. Not only because two teams have been promoted out of it, more on that shortly, but first up, Carl, we have to go to Ellen Road and some incredible scenes between Leeds and Aston Villa. So, on the basis of what went on, is it fair to say that Leeds got it incredibly wrong, on the pitch, but at least Marcelo Bielsa sort of atoned for that issue off it. It's nothing short of bizarre, really, because when you consider Adoma finally walked the ball into net, the Leeds captain didn't even want that to happen, did he? He sort of did his very best to sort of boot it away. Finally it went in, parity restored, but drama out spilling everywhere.
0: Yeah, I suppose this is one of those really weird instances, Dan, isn't it? Where you kind of say, like, you know, I suppose the only rule really is, isn't it, is that the referee only stops play if it's a head injury. Um, so I suppose, you know, some of the Leeds players could look around and say, well, it wasn't a head injury. You know, the guy's just gone down. You know, we wait till the referee stops the game before we, you know, we need to stop play and. Give the ball up, um, and the referee never blew his whistle. So, we've seen it happen before where teams have kind of looked to try and play on, but then you kind of know that morally you get to a certain point where you go, No, actually, let's put this ball out and let this guy get some treatment. Um, but this time, obviously, Leeds, you know, and the, the guy who stuck it away thought, No, I'm not having that. I'm literally going to go all the way um, and I'm going to put this ball in. Um, but yeah, you, know, you have to sit there and say the, but they, they should have put the ball out, especially when you consider that not. Long before that, Villa had put the ball out for one of their guys to get some treatment. So nowadays it is the dumb thing, isn't it? You know, if you see someone down on the floor that looks like they've got a, or could possibly have a serious injury, you you stick the ball out and you let the guy get some treatment. Um, but like, as you say, completely bizarre scenes because never really seen anything like that before. Um, and the chaos they it called. Um, and then obviously you've got the you know, all the ruckus that goes on after that. Um, but, yeah, I think, as as you rightly said, Leeds kind of got it wrong on the pitch, but then at least, you know, Bielsa kind of did what he should have done and, you know, ordered to let Villa score. Um, and that was the right move in theory. You know, it just resets the game, puts everything right. No one's feeling hard done by, and it just shows there's some sportsmanship left in, in the game as such.
1: The only thing I could liken it to is um, Arsenal-Sheffield United from about 20 years ago when the Gunners scored in a similar situation and then Arsenal Wenger offered to play the cup game again, didn't he? Um, can you think of any other scenarios? I honestly can't think of anything more. I mean, it's... I'm sure it's happened, but nothing of that
0: top-level nature. Yeah, as you say, normally, you've seen instances before, haven't we, where you kind of see someone go down towards the end of a game where it's clear they're kind of play-acting just to try and get the other team to put the ball out. Um, And we've seen a few teams try to play on and stuff like that. But nothing, as you say, nothing along these lines apart from that Sheffield United-Arsenal game, um, where quite rightly there at that point, you know, Sheffield United were furious. Um, But I guess, you know, some people with your hard line there, would say, well, you play to the whistle and if the whistle doesn't go, you fully concentrate. But I think overall, thankfully, at the end of it, in terms of on the pitch, we got it, they got it all right between them. Um, You know, they allowed Villa to go up the other end and stick it in an empty net, which was good. You know, as you say, the Leeds captain certainly wasn't having none of that, was he? You know, he really was uh, adamant that he didn't want that to happen. Um, but even his own teammates kind of turned against him in that point. Um, but then, obviously, you've still got the shameful scenes uh, with the red card, which, you know, that 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 kind of thing is something that massively needs to be stamped out of the game.
1: Well, of course, I mean, Banford's clutches the, the ground with a sort of, you know, a flailing arm that never really touches him at all. You've got El Ghazi, who's going to be, as it stands, suspended for three matches, so he misses Villa's playoff um, campaign, you No, know, unless they get to the final, that is. So you would have thought that would be rescinded after the madness that ensued before it. But, yeah, I mean, that could have gone Leeds' favour, you know, 10 men against 11, Leeds get a winner, and then you think, well, if it weren't for the fact that that happened beforehand, you know, that could have really, would have been a, a huge advantage to them. So I think the fact it ended in the draw just about stopped it from really boiling up because it was just about simmering. But I think, you know, um, bizarre scenes. And thankfully, we don't see them all that often. I think that's probably why it made it stand out so much. But talking to Sheffield United, that draw between Leeds and Villa means that the Blades have been promoted to the Premier League. Now, it's crystal ball time and obviously results will dictate what happens to Chris Wilder next season. But does he find himself in the position that so many managers have before that a club chairman will have a very short memory if the um, United team don't get off to a good start? Because it's really a case of what you've done for me lately. And if United don't sort of hit the ground running, then it's, well, thanks for your work, but off you go.
0: Yeah, we've kind of hit this sort of phase now in football haven't we where you know these teams come up and get promoted to the Premier League and you kind of think that you know their managers have achieved the impossible and given that club something to kind of cherish and all the riches and everything that come with it so you'd kind of think they'd get shown some sort of like extended loyalty from that but we've kind of reached this day and age where as you say if Sheffield United come up and the same with Norwich and by the midway point of the season they're languishing in the relegation zone miles off a safe then you we are finding a chairman trying to pull the trigger um, and, and make a change to see if that works rather than maybe just saying well we'll stick with you out of some loyalty um, we know you can get us up from the division below so maybe you know it's just this is one step to too far for us right now with our resources. But I think we just are entering that modern era where, you know, if it doesn't start working down there then the chairman will feel he's got ambitions for the club and it might be that someone else has to take over and then they might feel they can look for a bigger name to push the club forward. But you know, if if you are Sheffield United and Norwich, you should really now be looking to build a future based on what these managers have achieved. And if it means you might have to go back down again with the same manager, um, then to me, I think it just makes sense to do that. You know, it worked for Burnley, has not it? You know, with Dyche, they've stuck with him, and and you can see how that's benefiting them now. So that let's hope these guys get a fair crack at a whip And you know, it does sort of show you some kind of loyalty for bringing those teams back up because that is one hard division to get out of that's for sure
1: Yeah I mean it's a shame that we're in that sort of position that we find ourselves in as you know football connoisseurs is the fact that you know it's almost you may as well get a club chairman shake Chris Wilder's hands now and say thanks but we're going to go in a new direction for next season Could we feel that someone might be more suited to keeping us up I mean I'm not condoning that but you're almost at that position It's you get yourself sort of three month tryout in the top flight and like you say if it's not working off you go you take Cardiff and Fulham as two different examples this season Fulham, they've gone through, well, they're at manager number three now, but they've been sort of hopeless all season. I think the fact that Cardiff have not really been disgraceful at any point, they've always been sort of hovering either side of 17th 18th. That's been the thing that's kept Neil Warnock in a job. So if like Norwich or Sheffield United do that similar kind of thing, can you sort of envision them being sort of kept on and at least allow them to sort of see that battle through to the end of the season?
0: I'd like to think so, wouldn't you? You know, I think it's about time. You know, if you are those managers of those clubs and you've achieved what you have now, then I think it's only right you get to see that um, process through, um, because obviously they're going to be going in without the real resources to mix it with most of the teams in the Premier League and as we know the Premier League is a massive step up from the Championship we've seen it with the teams that have come up so I'd like to see one of these clubs stick with their manager and maybe just say well we're prepared to go back down um, but we're also going to give you the chance to bring us back up because then at that same time you know once you've had your year in the Premier League and you build your financial base you'd like to then think that you know it gives you a solid foundation to maybe possibly bring in better players, you know, your better profile as a club. And then, you know, it might just take a few seasons before that manager really gets it right. Um, You know, so I, I'm hoping that these two come up and no matter what happens for them, their managers are given a fair crack at a whip in what is the toughest, one of the toughest leagues in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd like to see that just like a whole season. And like you say, Burnley, the perfect example of that is that they had Sean Dyche, went up, went down and now, you know, They've had a stint in Europe since returning. They're comfortably mid-table, you know, just about this season. And they are reaping the, the long-term benefit. And it's just, you'd like to think the club chairman would use that as the, the rule rather than the exception. But unfortunately, that's not the case. It's that sort of trigger-happy culture that we're in. Um, talking to managers, I want to highlight Eddie Howe. Now, we've referenced many a time in this sort of past, I don't know, six weeks or so, that Bournemouth are firmly on the beat. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I know they drew on Saturday, but that seems, again, like the exception rather than the rule. So it's not really the form I want to focus about Burnley, it's more the stock of the manager. And the question or questions I've got here is that, do you think Eddie Howe is in danger of staying at the club too long and therefore damaging his own long-term value in terms of, you know, future job prospects, wherever they might be? Because it almost feels like he's been overtaken as the fashionable choice is a next appointment for a Big Six uh, club. You've got like Nuno, who's now in circles, you know, if you're sort of looking at your next manager, he's the now the name that seems to be at the top of that list. So... If the Cherries struggle to get off to a good start next season after sort of carrying this sort of legacy of bad form, does that create more of a headache? And then does Howe think, actually, maybe I've done everything I can at the Vitality Stadium and sort of then looking at his next move. So ultimately, I guess the question is, is he at a sort of like a tipping point where the needle sort of just sort of going either way? And if he stays too long, then it's going to plummet completely. And then he that sort of big move that he's been touted for, hoping for, might never materialise.
0: Yeah, I do kind of see where you're coming from because I think as well at the same time with Eddie Howe, you do reach a point where you then have to say, you know, we need to see what he can do possibly with a club with more resources, don't we, you know, to really actually know what this man can actually do, you know. Is he this manager that if he 's given the right club with the right resources, suddenly you 're finding that you 've got the possible next England manager or future England manager in waiting, um, or could it be that he gets a club with more resources and actually struggles with the kind of um, expectation and everything that 's put on him and suddenly you realize well, actually you know Eddie Howe is kind of eddie howe 's level is a kind of Bournemouth club, you know maybe lower prim. Championship manager, so I am. I do agree with you there, Dan, to a degree. I think there's coming to a point in his career where that he needs to possibly now think. I need to step up to that next level and prove what I can do, um, because that's face it. At Bournemouth, the, the resources he's never going to really drastically change for him, are they? You know, they're never going to suddenly find that they're taken over by a rich, you know, Saudi Arabia um, country almost, where they like Man City get given this wealth that he can go out and just splash the and whoever he wants. You know, they've got a small stadium which probably doesn't generate them that much income. They're, they're probably a club that are just looking for Premier League survival most seasons and maybe they'll, their aim will be what Burnley have done where they push the top six one year and maybe get a Europa League and possibly pick up a League Cup or FA Cup. Um, but the reality is they probably know they're never going to have the resources and the backing to go for serious honours. Um, and, and Eddie Howe at some point is going to have to say, you know, I can only do what I can do with these resources. And now I want to test myself at the highest level. And I'm like you, I don't think any, you know, I think, judgment is being held off on him until we actually really see what he can do if he's given a club with some better resources you know if he was to take over say an Everton or a Newcastle possibly um, a club like that and that sort of reputation where you're then saying right here's the expectation what can you achieve Um, and I don't think until we see that from him we'll really know whether you know the great reputation of him possibly being a brilliant young English manager or is he just no sorry there's There was a lot of hype, but actually behind it, there wasn't a lot of substance. So I'm like you, Dan, I I would agree. I do think the time is coming where Eddie will need to look at what his next move is and possibly trying to show what he can really
1: bring. Because, you know, if he's going to be touted for these big six jobs, maybe even the England job, do you get the feeling he needs another job in between? Like there's no way he could go from Bournemouth to Chelsea or Bournemouth to Tottenham, for example, or Bournemouth to England. He needs to go from... Bournemouth to Everton, Bournemouth to Newcastle. We'll show what it can do there, and then it opens up the real opportunities. Is that a fair statement?
0: Yeah, I think so because I think right now, what's probably putting off a lot of those, you know, say a big club like a Chelsea or an Arsenal, when the manager position becomes available, is the fact that Eddie Howe hasn't even probably really taken what they would consider a medium-sized club and had some success. You know, so the the worry there is, well, can he do it at a club of our size? So, like as you say, I think quite rightly. People will constantly hold off, you know, employing him in those big jobs because they actually want to see what he can achieve with, you know, a medium level of expectation compared to what those jobs are going to put you under, you know, because they'll put you under the microscope, those jobs massively, you know, Bournemouth, you know, no disrespect to them, kind of go under the radar most weeks. Um, but that won't happen when you take over a club like Arsenal or Chelsea, you know, you'll be fully in the spotlight and, you know, everyone will be waiting on your, your last breath to see what's happening and, you know, the controversy or that that comes from it. So he does need to look at this, but you kind of sort of wonder at the moment, I don't see any of those jobs that he'd probably need opening up even for next season. So, yeah, it's a real interesting time, I think, in his career, you know, he's coming to a real crossroads.
1: Okay, we've spoken about managers enough, so let's talk action. And First up, we'll go to to uh, Turf Sorry, Cole. once again, we're going to be talking centimetres and the fact that they could be deciding the destination of the Premier League trophy. So, if you're a Man City fan, it's probably a case at the moment of hate VAR, love GLT.
0: Yeah, I mean, this could be really strange, couldn't it? Because the title could possibly be won, couldn't it, by a VAR goal or a VAR no goal. Because when you look at the kind of you know, distance that those balls one's not over the line and one is, then that title race is going to come down to centimetres, isn't it, and inches, as you say. Um, and you know, we all know now. I think if Liverpool, if that ball goes over the line at Man City and Liverpool go on to win that game, then the title probably would. As good as done right now, um, so it, it you know that was real tense moment if you're a city fan because the longer that game was going on, the more you kind of you know started getting this feeling that this could be the one slip up that everyone's been expecting one to make. Um, but you certainly wouldn't have thought it would come for Man City at Burnley, but they were holding on and it was looking tight and time was ticking away. But they will be mightily relieved that that goal line technology is in right now because that possibly has won them. The title this season
1: that's now 12 wins in a row for Pep's men and we've not spoken since the Manchester derby actually so now we're down to two matches to go and all things are equal that game and hand's been used up can you call a winner yet or do you still think there's another banana skin around the corner somewhere
0: well, I, I, to be honest, and when I looked at the fixtures, I still think that for me, Liverpool were going to have a problem and I think there were slip-ups waiting in their Newcastle and Wolves games. Um, for me, when I looked at the remaining fixtures, I earmarked those two games as ones that could trip Liverpool up and, you know, we could see them drop points that give City the title. Um, you know, Wolves are one of those sides that have really turned it on this year against the top sides, so you wouldn't be surprised to see Wolves go and cause Liverpool some problems. And the way Newcastle are playing right now and obviously the whole Rafa situation, you wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle were desperate to get something against Liverpool. So I actually think we will see Liverpool drop some points Um, and and for me, I now think City are firmly in the driving seat and I can't see them slipping up in their last two games Um, and we'll see this title go back to the Etihad.
1: I mean, for all intents and purposes, this has been an absolutely bonkers season because you could have Liverpool finish the season on 97 points, losing one game and finish second. You could also see Tottenham lose, what, 12 matches and finish third. I guess that shows that drawing games can cost you the title and not drawing games can actually get you out of a mess, can't it?
0: Yeah, we have seen that this year, haven't we? You know, lots of times where we used to before say, well, better to pick up a point than nothing. You know, as you say, it's kind of worked out that this year teams have just gone, no, we're not having that. It's, you know, it, it's go for it or bust because we don't really want to draw. We don't really think a points any good for us, so we might be better off losing one, but then winning the next ten rather than say three draws in that, you know, and a couple of and a couple of wins. So, yeah, I think we are seeing this era of football now where draws don't 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 get you anything, and they actually become a hindrance because you've either got to win and get all the points or nothing. So, it, as you say, it's been an absolutely bonkers season. And if you're a Liverpool fan, knowing you. You could miss out on that title given your points um, and goal tally. Then you kind of sit back and think, well, wow, you know, can we repeat this the following year? Because you kind of get the impression you're going to have to to win something. So it it would be a massive blow to miss out given what they've achieved this season.
1: I mean, you take Liverpool, 97 points would be the third highest ever uh, Premier League points tally. I'm not a massive fan of sort of points Season to season, because they don't mean all that much. Because you can't really compare what happens in 1998 to compare to today. Like things have changed too much. But you know that's going to be incredibly galling, is isn't it? To do that much. I think the only other example I can recently remember is when Pep and Mourinho went head to head in Madrid um, and Barcelona, and I think Pep got over a hundred points and Madrid were about one less, and they really pushed each other all the way. Like that kind of sort of same caliber of results. Um, you know. Just, I think it's just the case of Liverpool are a great team, but they've just met their match. You know, if just if this does go the way it's almost panning out to be. It's just great team, wrong era really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think is the only the only comfort I think you can take as a Liverpool fan is if you if they don't win the title this season, you'd instantly again next year just say, well, now if they again build on it in the summer and bring a couple of players in, you know, maybe one of the problems Liverpool might need to fill, you know, and possibly that could push them over the line definitely is maybe a top striker that's going to get them twenty plus goals in a season, you know, as well as the wide men. Um, but you'd be really confident if you're a Liverpool fan that you may miss out this season but the future looks really bright because if things carry on going and the club continues to move in the way they are then you can only assume it's just a matter of time before the title and possibly even bigger trophies come along after that so as much as this year will be heartbreaking for them I still think you'd have to look at it and go from where they've come from to where they are in such a short space of time and given the future that it puts them in then you've got to be happy overall because you know that success is going to come.
1: As for Liverpool, they put five past Huddersfield on Friday night. And to be honest, we didn't learn all that much by the fact that Sadio Mane and Mo Salah are gunning out for the golden boot, it seems. Now, we've sort of said it's a bonkers season in terms of no one's fancying drawers anymore. They're out of fashion. In terms of golden boot, it's not really been a classic in terms of sort of goal hauls, has it? I mean, you it to previous years, you'd be in the 30s by now. Everyone seems to be in, well, I think it's sort of 2021, isn't it? It's not been a classic by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Yeah, we've had this year that kind of most of the top strikers have had their seasons broken up with injuries, haven't they? You know, Aguero's had time out. You know, obviously Kane has had some big, lengthy layoffs. Um, you know, and as you say, there's no, no, not really been one real striker that's kind of put his name on this golden boot this year and said, right, that's mine. And if you want to beat me, you're going to have to be scoring over 25 goals this season to get it. Um, maybe that's a come, you know, a come down from the World Cup or something. You know, where this year players have got that a little bit more fatigue, you know, those top strikers who were at the World Cup. Um, And obviously, say, some injuries have taken its toll. Um, But as you say, it's not been a glorious year for the the golden boot race, and it's not been as keenly fought out um, as as you kind of, it has been over previous seasons. Um, but I, I kind of think you know that normally only happens every now and then. And probably next season we'll see a, you know when people like Kane and Aguero fit for longer spells, we'll see a real interesting goal scoring boot come come back again. But as you say, it's been a it's been a strange season, but one broken up by injuries for I think the key men that you would have expected to win it.
1: Yeah, actually, I guess that's a fair point in terms of injuries. You need to look at the context of the matches they're playing because if players are sort of fit and they're not missing any games, then they've got more opportunity to get towards sort of 30 and such. I might actually, off recording, look into that a bit more. That gives you an idea. Good work, Cole. Um, in terms of Huddersfield, I guess they've almost got to be commended for their near-suicidal tactics on Friday. Like, they were up for it. You know, they are going to have a go, but they had a go and they were one down within a minute. And although every game seems to be, well, it is a free hit, since the relegation, is there a danger that this rot of results they're going through at the moment then carries through into the championship because you know it's very hard to sort of say right we've been getting battered all season and then just because we're in the championship you flick this switch and everything's fine like surely there's going to be some sort of legacy that happens you know when they kick off again in august
0: yeah, yeah, I think I think you're quite right, Dan. One of the things you wouldn't want to do under the new manager is get spankings every week because then I think players possibly do question, well, actually, is this guy, gonna, is this guy actually going to be any good for us as a club? Um, whereas if they were finishing the season by, you know, maybe losing but by the odd goal here and there against some good sides, you'd kind of think, well, this guy looks like he's possibly getting it together with that team and they're putting in some decent performances. So as you say, I don't think, even as much as we know their fate now, And we know what's coming. I don't think you want to be on the endings of those spankings too often and and really looking a bit of a shower. Because I just think players possibly then start to doubt the manager. Um, And as you say, it's not as easy just to suddenly go, oh, well yeah we're not bothering now but all of a sudden in a few more months time we'll start to put it all together again and we'll start to go and make a serious crack at this championship because you know as much as the quality might not be as good that is a hard league and one that you want to go into with a bit of momentum and a bit of confidence and and as you say getting on the wrong end of some real hammerings isn't going to give you that defensively Um, and the mindset could just be starting to wonder whether the guy you've employed can do what he needs to to get you out of the toughest league going so, yeah, I, I think they'd want to put in some more solid performances than what they have been.
1: I mean, take Fulham as the um, the other example. Like you just sort of said, you know, they're also relegated, but they're winning matches. And there must be an air of confidence that if Scott Parker does get given the job full time, then they'll sort of, you know, have a better launch pad to then go back up. You sort of think, oh, OK, well, you know, he's, he's finding his feet, he's getting results. There's an almost, you know, after such a murky sort of start, well, two thirds of the season, there's a little, a little bit more light at, Hud, um, sorry, at Fulham compared to Huddersfield.
0: Yeah, as you say, it just it, it gives you that feeling, doesn't it? A good feeling around the club that you're starting to see some performances and what could be a squad and players starting to gel, the manager starting to have his influence. And obviously, you know, those, those results are telling you that the players must kind of like what the manager's doing and like the way they're training and things like that. So it's all about momentum, isn't it? And if, if you finish strongly, at least, even if you're still relegated, but you finish the season strongly and put in some good performances, then then you go into the new season feeling a little bit more confident that, well, actually, you know, we've played up above with a higher quality, so now we can do it here. So, yeah, as you say, it is all about ending and momentum, and right now, Scott Parker looks like he's building some momentum and building a team that, if it carries on and he doesn't lose too many, then, you know, they could possibly have a good crack at getting straight back up again.
1: Okay then, the top four race, and no-one wants to win it. I'll spare the details of Spurs West Ham, as me and Carl are going to reconvene later in the week and uh, run through that on the eSports podcast and the small matter of a Champions League semi-final against Ajax. So keep your eyes and ears out for that. But let's go to the other North London outfit, Arsenal, and the fact they've had an awful, what, 10 days or so? Three straight league losses. I'm trying to say that without a smile. This meant they've not only lost form at the worst time, but they've failed to take advantage of all the fellow mishaps around them. So if we spoke about all three losses, we'd be here all day, wouldn't we, Carl? So let's focus on the Leicester game. Um, Arsenal fans will no doubt point to the fact that they were down to 10 men for the majority of the game. The thing that stood out for me was the second goal they conceded. Shades of last season's Carabao Cup final with that long punt downfield. So why on earth is a top-level club like that getting caught out in such a basic amateur level? Like, how on earth is a ball sailing from one end of the pitch to another than Jamie Vardy not only... Headering it off the bar and having an aged and then nesting it home. Just such a catalogue of errors. Like, what is going wrong at the Arsenal?
0: Yeah, I think this has been Arsenal's Achilles heel for a long while now, isn't it, defensively? um, And obviously in that sort of midfield, looking for that kind of leader and and centre mid that breaks play up. Because, you know, attacking-wise, they've always had good players and they can always, you know, if they're all firing, take any team apart um, in the attacking third. But they just have been let down um, defensively. You know, there's a big question. Marks over the centre backs and full backs, there. Um, big question marks over Zaka and whether he's the kind of central, you know, destroyer type of midfielder that they need. Um, obviously, as you say, yes, they weren't helped by going a man down, but then, you know, you're playing Leicester. You know what Leicester are going to do. And I think, you know, I think it was on Match of the Day where they were sort of saying, you know, we know what Leicester are good at. We know the way that Jamie Vardy wants to play. So you should be prepared for what's coming. You know they're going to look to try and get behind you and over the top. And you know what Vardy's going to do. So why those players suddenly are looking like they, you know, they've never seen a game of football that Leicester have played before? Then you do have to question what's going on there and who's leading it and who's making the calls of the way they're going to play because it just was suicide, wasn't it? Um, I think they need, you know, they'll need the investment, possibly defensively, a bit like United. I feel, you know, if they can sort themselves out defensively, they could have a real shout out of a top four um, and possibly, you know, a Champions League run uh, through the group stage. But while they're playing with the sort of centre halves and full-backs that they've got, I just don't see it because they're just not good enough at the top level. You know, getting caught out with silly mistakes, um, and and that while you're doing that, you're just never going to make it where you need to because you just can't concede those sort of goals in the Premier League um, and I think that's been you know it almost with be like with Arsenal it's been rinse and repeat over the last three or four years now isn't it
1: absolutely I mean you do well I don't worry I don't lose any sleep over Arsenal but I guess if you were an Arsenal fan you do worry about the lack of forthcoming budget I mean You've got figures quoted at like forty million and that's no that's gonna get you one key player. Well it's not even gonna get you a key player, is it? Like well, one, yeah
0: nowadays yeah, exactly. that's right. It's not even gonna get you a real key world class player, No, is it? now? You're possibly talking sometimes that can just get you a championship up and coming. Player. So yeah, as you say, when when Arsenal are talking about loans and forty million budget, then you are kind of starting to worry because you just can't see the players bring in being brought in that they need. Um, and we've seen that you know everyone you know they went on this great run. I think everyone could see the problems were there. And without some new sign-ins, I don't see that they've got the players in the squad that can actually halt that and, and change it drastically next season. So you can only see, again, the same problems unless there's some real investment
1: there. Absolutely. As for the sending off, do you did you think the uh, two yellows were justified? I mean, the first booking was in, well, within 10 minutes. I can't remember the exact minute, but in early, shall we say. So sometimes you get away with that because people say oh, it's just early in the game. So does credit have to go to Michael Oliver for actually applying the letter of the law?
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I think, you know, quite rightly they could feel aggrieved with the sending off, couldn't they? You know, possibly one of them was a booking. We know we you know we've seen the replays. We know he doesn't really make any contact with Madison um, for the second booking. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, you have got to feel for them, but then you could sort of say, well, you know, again it's in this sort of day where players need to be clever and if you've already been booked then don't go diving into a tackle where you sort of think, you know, split second you get this wrong, you're giving the referee a decision to make because you know you have to be smart and these are top level players that now should be able to take that on board and once you know you've picked that first booking up then you have to at some point say well I'll go and shut him down but I'm not going to go lunging in and the only thing I can think when you look at it is obviously the ref gets a split second look we're fortunate we've got replays where we can see he doesn't touch him but in real time that probably looks like a lunge and he's caught Madison late so the referee in his, in his mind quite rightly is applying the rules and get a second yellow card for what looked like a lunging late tackle. But you know, that's where maybe obviously you know we'll see next year if these technology comes in that helps these referees. But at the same time as players sometimes you just need to use your head and kind of think now's not the time to do this because I risk putting my my team in a difficult situation, especially that early in the game.
1: So Leicester with that win they're now up to eighth, although before that win they took one point from six. So overall, it's pretty much dented their seventh place hopes looking probably unlikely now. That said, it's almost as if their preseason preparations are underway. You know, they're flying. Do you get the feeling they're going to be hitting the ground running next time around?
0: Yeah, they, you do kind of get that feeling, don't you, Dan? You know, Brendan Rodgers has gone in there and he, he's having a great finish. And they're you know, some key players are looking like they've come back alive again for them. Um, and you kind of feel that they've got some good young players there. And as you say, you kind of almost feel like their pre-season is right now. You know, they're learning and their momentum is being done now. So that by the time the start of next season comes round, they could really hit the ground running. And as we've seen before in the Premier League, if you can get off to a really good start, and stick a real good run together, then Leicester could be one of those teams that are possibly pushing the top five or six come next season. And who knows, maybe even the top four again, you know, because they've got some real good players there um, and they're bedding in nicely. And and obviously you assume they're going to add to that in the summer. So it's all looking good for Leicester right now.
1: Yeah, I think they'll be in with a real shout of European football next season. I think, you know, like I say, no reason why they can't be top six. If Arsenal's sort of downward spiral continues due to a lack of investment, then it sort of blows that part of it wide open. So you just don't know, do you? Um, late that afternoon, Sunday, Man United played host to Chelsea. I don't know about you, Cole, but for a game of such relative magnitude, it wasn't pretty, was it? It just felt like an on the cycle of Lukaku and Higuain just finding themselves offside for 90 minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was some dreadful play there by those two strikers, wasn't there? You know? And I think and these are world class strikers
1: in, you know, for the terminology. Yeah, to be that's used, right. I mean, awful, really.
0: Yeah, as you say, you know, when you consider how long Higuain's been around and what level he's played at, and Lukaku hasn't exactly played for some poor teams, has he? So when you have got two strikers, you just don't seem to be doing the basics. By looking along the line and timing the run, then that just kind of sums up both those team season really, doesn't it? You know, real hit and miss, sloppy, lazy Um, and you kind of get the impression I think both teams now are just you know, can't wait for the end of the season because I think they've all got internal issues that they really need to get sorted and that are holding them back possibly Uh, and yeah I'm like you Dan, you know, you was kind of watching this so-called Super Sunday thinking this is actually very underwhelming and a little bit boring right now Um, and those teams will need to do massively better next season if they're going to try and push that top four um, or or even like the title race because there's a lot of work to be done. And and if you're Chelsea and you're looking at what's coming with a transfer ban and possibly Hazard leaving, then next season, you know, I, I wouldn't be looking forward to next season if I was a Blues fan
1: right now. Well, again, you know, just sort of reference Leicester, you know, they could be rubbing their hands with glee and sort of taking advantage of Chelsea's misery as well. Like it could be, season next season, with the top six as we know it, you know, the big six and all that, might actually be disrupted, which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Of course, Wolves in the mix as well. We're big fans from a you know a neutral point of view from Wolves. They're going to fancy their chances of cracking a glass ceiling. Everton again. So it might be sort of something that, you know, the status quo might be disrupted, which is good, you know, long term for the Premier League. But in terms of Sunday, if we go back to that, um, United did start brightly, obviously. matter with the goal against his former club. And United did have a bit of vibrancy about them in the first half. You sort of thought, well, if there's neither teams playing great, but of those two teams United were the better. However, another David De Gea mistake allowed Marcus Alonso to prod home just for the interval. Now what on earth has happened to what was considered not just a safe pair of hands, but also for some of the best goalkeeper in the world?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really strange, isn't it, to try and put your finger on what's gone on there because at one point he was unbeatable, you know. We we know all too oh, well yeah, don't exactly. we don't we that just... game at Wembley, you know. We, we wish he'd had one of those nights now for us because he'd probably have thrown four in the way we battered him that night. Um, but yeah, it's hard to put your finger on when you, you know, having been a keeper myself, it, it, you can't really put your finger on what's gone on that suddenly, you know, you're just doubting yourself a little bit more and things that you weren't... And even really thinking about, say, you know, a couple of weeks ago and you just picking things up like they you know you you can't go through your hands at all now suddenly people are hitting shots and before it gets to you you're worrying that oh please don't fumble this just don't fumble it and next thing you know of course it happens and you fumble a shot um, he's obviously having some bad luck as well where everything he fumbles or drops at the moment is falling to the feet of an attacker or going behind him into the goal um, I just think now he needs the end of the season you know I guess the kind of season United are having De Gea must just be thinking can we just stop now, let me get away from it and, you know, get a break in and then come back again next season. Because I'm sure once that happens and, you know, this end of the season comes and he gets his break, we'll see the real David De Gea again next season. But right now, if you're an opposition player, you just, like, your instructions are just shoot on sight, aren't they?
1: Hey, absolutely. And I think a lot of people have had a lot of joy. You know, you take the two City goals in the Manchester derby, both those kind of sort of remit, you know, Silver and Sane. Um, making De Gea look very ordinary. And because of that, and obviously what we saw on Sunday, does Oli have to consider playing Sergio Romero for these final two games? You know, you've just sort of referenced David De Gea needs a break. Mentally, doesn't seem there. They've got two, you'd say, favourable fixtures, even in the race with top four. You know, the sort of, the, they're the outsiders looking in, but with the teams they've got to face, could they get away with playing Romero instead?
0: I think this is a hard one because I think, I, I can't remember who said it, but they're kind of right. You, you don't, what, De Gea probably won't want to happen now is what feels like a real public hanging out to dry and you suddenly we're dropping this bloke because he's dropping clangers, you know, because United obviously need him for next season so I think there is that thing that you don't want to now start dropping him and either like upset him or damage the confidence even more. I think for United given De Gea's status I think you just need to try and let him play through it and kind of get this out of his system because you, you can't really risk upsetting him and maybe wanting to make him sort of leave all of a sudden or, let's say, denting their confidence even more where, you know, publicly he's put out to, you know, sorry, you're making too many mistakes, you're off. So... For me, I just think Oli just needs to let him play through it um, and hope that they can get through those games unscathed and that he can kind of regain some form of confidence just before the season ends, which kind of helps him then for the summer and that. But if it was me, I'd I'd stick with him right now because I think, you know, a, a public kind of outing or dropping could just be too much that you don't want to upset the player.
1: I guess isn't that the nature of a goalkeeper, that you can't really drop a goalkeeper in sort of standard circumstances because obviously when goalkeepers make mistakes more often than not they lead to goals and if they make too many mistakes then they will get dropped so I think it's just sort of the nature of the position really you can't just sort of say like if it was a defender who had a bit of iffy form there'd be a switch and there wouldn't be like loads of column inches written about it it'd just be squad rotation but for some reason when it's a goalkeeper there seems to be a lot more sort of focus around it why do you think that is
0: Well, I like, as you say, I think because you obviously, you know, you don't have as many keepers in your squad as outfield players. So as you say, you've only really got one or two real kind of like first team goalkeepers to pick from. So you kind of have to be a little bit more careful, you know, with defenders, you may have sort of six or seven in your squad where possibly upsetting one, you can get by without, you know, if if he does get upset or something like that and has a little paddy or throws his toys out, you've got enough to kind of cover that position. I think the difficulty for United is that we know on form De Gea is probably the best goal, one of the best keepers in the world. So you don't want to risk actually upsetting that person because of how good he's going to be and what he can do for you at the club because they're in a bit of crisis at the moment the last thing they now need and, and that's basically defensively they're not very sound even when he was actually playing well so all of a sudden now if, if you know they upset him and De Gea wants to go then that puts United in even more you know a little bit more crisis defensively and I think that's probably the thing with goalkeepers isn't it most go- most teams have got one real number one and then after that you're looking at a backup who doesn't play that regularly and yes he's okay you know for a couple of games and maybe some FA Cup games but not not the real guy you want in between the posts you know. every league game. So I think for goalkeepers, because there's left, because you only have, say, two or served, so them, you have to be a little bit different with your approach to how you treat them if one's having a little dip in form.
1: I mean, you look at United's defenders that they have in their squad, and I don't know about you, but I can't pick what I would consider their best four because I all just think they're all a much of a muchness and no one really sort of stands out. You couldn't say... That one's better than that one because they're all just sort of mm-hmm. under par at the moment. So, you know, there's going to be a real bit rebuilding job at Old Trafford over the summer. There's no doubt about that. Could you see as many as four defenders come in? And with that, does that then cause its own problems? Because you've got to try and then mesh a whole new back line together. And that's going to take time as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I, for me, I've said before, I think the real... You know, area that United just need to focus on this summer. If I was Oli, would be my back four, and and like as you say, it could even be you're bringing in four new defenders because, uh, like as you say, Dan, none of them that they've got inspire any confidence in me none of them are certainly defenders that I think are going to push you towards a title or possibly even a top-four spot. So I think it is a case of it's a it's a whole new clear-out um, and and look to bring in players that you kind of feel you've got some confidence in to do the job um, and just hope it gels pretty quickly and your pre-season's a good one. Um, because for me, yeah, I, I do think if I was Ollie, I'd be looking to say, and I wouldn't be scared to say, I, I need a whole new back four. And to be honest, the rest of the team, I can... We can get by with these because you know they can have a threat going forward, but it's defensively where we've really come unstuck. And if we can sort that out, then we can actually start putting you know a dent into that top four and actually then start looking at you know adding you know in the more advanced positions where you can possibly start realistically thinking about titles and Champions League. So yeah, for me it's it's back four because as you say, none of the defenders United got on their books right now make me think. Yep, that they're defenders who can push. You on to a better level than they are.
1: In terms of the man between the sticks, back to David De Gea could you see him moving on if United don't get into the Champions League? I'm reading today that PSG are in the frame. They've always sort of been sort of linked with him, but does that then sort of become more apparent if he's stuck playing Thursday night football in Europe next season?
0: Yeah, I can't really see a club right now that would attract De Gea um, away. You know, with, with the fact that the Madrid position seems to have gone, um, I think that was the only one where you could realistically have seen him wanting to go and push him for a move. Um, I think we've seen this year with PSG. You know, I don't think there's. The, the trouble I think PSG has is I don't think they're the attractive offer that they probably need to be given their domestic football. Um, I think, you know, you don't really get that much excitement in that league week in, week out. So I think that possibly could be something that the gayer kind of thinks, well, nah, it's not for me. Yes. You know, They've got some great players and it's a great team, but they're falling short on the European stage. So I don't really feel, and you know, domestically, there's enough to keep me interested there. So I think United are lucky that that Madrid position has gone because I think that's what we'll see De Gea stay with them next season. And, you know, unless there's some real surprises, I don't see him moving anywhere.
1: I mean, PSG and their form, actually, it's funny you should mention that. The fact that they've taken God knows how many attempts to actually win the league and stutter over the line, they've ballsed up in the cup on Saturday, it's this sort of showed that, I think we've referenced this before as well, that just sort of, the mentality's not there, and when they're not playing in big games, it's just sort of like, well, you know, like so what, so be it, do you know what I mean? Like, and also, the fact they've had such a bad end to the season, could that be Thomas Tuchel's undoing and they might look for someone else in the summer?
0: Yeah, you kind of feel, don't you, that that, that's a club, that, as we say, that's a club that's being put together because they want European success. And I think with those owners, they will be looking to get someone in who can do that. But as we've rightly said, and I think we discussed it last time we spoke about PSG, I think their real problem is their domestic level that they're playing up against each week in, week out, where they don't have a real challenge on a regular basis. They kind of become, you know, they kind of become blase and the attitude isn't right when sometimes, it comes to dig in and playing in some real tough games because they, they do just have that will walk this mentality um, and I think right now that will that will always kind of be the problem with them, they've got some great players, we know Neymar's a great player but that's only if everything's going right for him and he's in a team that are possibly battering the opposition we kind of know he's not one of those players you know who's going to dig in when times are tough and possibly put just a shift in to get you over the line um, and I think that will be their problem and you could possibly see them losing someone like mbappe soon to you know Barcelona or Real Madrid because one of them teams will come calling and that attraction of that domestic football I think will be too much and you know I, I just think PSG might find themselves coming up short you know year after year in that Champions League because unfortunately their domestic game isn't enough to push them to that next level.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I just think they're always going to be the nearly men because they're just not on it every week and you can't turn it on for, what, 13, 17 games a season. You just If you're not mentally sort of prepared every week, you, you know, like we talk about flicking the switch of Huddersfield, you can't just sort of go, right, Champions League, flick it on, uh, we've got Dijon, flick it off. Like it just doesn't really work like that as a footballer. I mean, about Thomas Tuchel, if his head is on the chopping block, Could this be the time then Mourinho enters the managerial frame once more? And could he sort of be the man who finally gets PSG into that sort of real upper echelon of European football? Because he's got pedigree, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, you can see it, can't you? Because obviously he's a big name. So, you know, the idea of getting someone like Mourinho in at PSG will, you know, will be an attractive one. Um, Domestically, I think, you know, that, you know, in that league, he'll obviously, you know, get the confidence behind him of winning some games. Um, And maybe he will bring that attitude with him where suddenly some of those players who just want to cruise things and not really put the effort in, he may get a little extra out of them. And we know he has got the tactical now to kind of come up in Europe and cause some surprises if he needs to dig in. Um, so yeah, I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. I think that's a really good shout Dan, because obviously Mourinho, you know, he's not going to want to allow himself to go to a small medium sized club anywhere. Is he, he will only look for the top clubs in the top leagues. Um, and although I don't really consider the, the French league a top league, we know PSG with the resources can attract anyone because they can put the money on the table and not, offer the chance to buy the players that you need to buy so it really wouldn't surprise me if we see Mourinho end up there this summer.
1: You talk about him being linked with small to medium clubs. Now, take this with the biggest pinch of salt you've ever taken, because I read this morning that Jose Mourinho is favourite for the Celtic job. Now, come on, Cole, We're not stupid, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no chance.
0: No, man. exactly. Absolutely no chance. I mean, yeah, as you say, the trouble there is, you know, Celtic, we know, are a massive club with a massive following. But unfortunately, they just don't have the, uh, Say again, a bit like PSG, really. They don't have the domestic football that I think would attract a manager like Mourinho, unfortunately. Because the, the opposition is just not there to to kind of get you going. And you know you're not really going to achieve anything in Europe because you're not going to get the budget to just bring everyone and anyone in. So, yeah, the, um, it, wishful thinking if you're a Celtic fan, I think.
1: Yeah, we can officially debunk that rumour. So let's go back across the English Channel and uh, Cardiff. So their hopes of staying in the top flight um, Saturday, the one game they really needed to win. And on the basis of, you know, form and whatnot, actually the form's not great, but who needed it the most? It's fair to say they fluffed their lines against Fulham, didn't they? I mean, it's not impossible for them to stay up, but it's looking very unlikely for Neil Warnock's men right now.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of think now then that you know Cardiff will slip away and they'll they'll just come unstuck in that battle to try and survive. Um, you know, we've got. Southampton pulled up some decent form Um, and yeah, I can't see Cardiff surviving. I think they needed to pick up at least one more win in these recent games or at least another, you know, couple of draws maybe, but the fact they just can't get nothing over the line for them, I think eventually that'll be their downfall and um, Neil Warnock, you know, gallant effort, that's for sure, but I think we'll just see them slip away.
1: I mean, their loss to Fulham was coupled with Brighton's draw at home to Newcastle. A game that finally sees their goal drought come to an end and you get the feeling that they needed that vital point because their two fixtures to finish are arguably the worst you could have. You've got Arsenal away and then Manchester City. So they'll have to hope that Cardiff do nothing heroic, but you think they're just about over the line with that draw on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I think that was the key. You know Obviously, they'll be ruining the fact. I think if they'd got that point at Spurs as well, I think that would have definitely sealed it. Um, but I think, as you say, that point against Newcastle just give them enough, I think, to see them safe in the end. But as you say, not the ideal end of games that you want those two. But then actually, at the moment, you'd probably fancy your chances against Arsenal um, and possibly at least getting a point or maybe even more. So that that's the one they'll probably be really looking at to think if they're going to get anything, it needs to be that one.
1: Do you reckon they'll set themselves up exactly how they did against Spurs or will they be a bit more bit more open or,
0: you know, I think I, I, I think I think they'll have to go as tight because I don't think, you know, attacking at the moment, they've got it in them to kind of go out and be gung-ho, so yeah I think they'll just look to try and be tight and see if they can nick a goal on the break or something like that, um, but their main priority will just be trying to keep it tight to get away with a draw if that's the worst they can do, um, so I don't see them suddenly going and being really um, attacking and thinking, sod it, let's go for it, I think they'll try to just do what they did against us and and keep it tight and keep it clean.
1: Yeah, I think it would be a bit reckless if they started sort of modelling themselves on Huddersfield at Anfield on Friday. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Just don't do that. Especially Friday. you don't
0: want your goal difference taking a bit of a pound. Yeah, in there's that as right well. Now, yeah, good
1: shout. <laughs> um, talking of heroics, credit must go to Southampton and Ralph in particular for keeping the Saints in the top flight this season. It's certainly been quite the turnaround since his arrival. And More importantly, what on earth have they done with the real Shane Long?
0: Yeah, amazing, isn't it? I mean, actually, I I was really worried about Southampton um, around the middle of the season. You know, I honestly thought they could go this year. But as you say, the turnaround's been really good. Um, they've got He's got them playing some decent football again um, and you kind of think, you know, now they've done enough, um, they'll probably have to have a good look in the summer at what they're going to do but there's at least some encouraging signs there for them that they've got a guy in who can, you know, keep them safe and, and start trying to build something um, and as you say, well, God knows what's happened to Shane Long. They've locked the real one in, <laughs> in a boot cupboard somewhere and they <laughs> brought out this new player um, who seems so, you know where's he been hiding for the last for the most of this season, but you know they won't knock it right now. You know it's come at a good time, so you know he'll, he'll give you everything. We know you know he's one of those players, Shane Long. He'll run all day for you, but unfortunately his shooting boots have deserted him. But uh, I guess at least he's found them at the right time for them.
1: Yeah, I mean I guess you could say. Because he does put so much effort into it, you know, there's no doubt in that. I guess he does deserve this little purple patch of goals. But in fact, I, f- I think it was on Matches Day, said that before that run, he's in at the moment, it was three goals in what, seven, no, 67 matches. And you think, Jesus, like, you know, that's <laughs> almost, what, two seasons worth. And it's just like, but I think, you, you know. You
0: kind of feel he should be looking at himself saying, and you're really still classing yourself as a striker, Shane, yeah? You know, well, that's well, you right. can, really, can you really put yourself in that bracket anymore? But I guess, you know. I think some managers may say it's what, what he brings in other attributes are what keep him in a squad like that. Because as I say, he is a diet, he is a do-all player. You know, he will always put himself on the line and run himself into the ground for you. So, you know, maybe that's why managers like him.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair sort of statement to make about Shane Long. So credit to him. Um, where are we now? Finally, Wolves versus Watford. The race for seventh looks like it's nearly been run. Wolves with a win on Saturday with Watford falling to 10th. Does Harry Gracia think? Okay, right. It's cup focus time. Give the key players a rest. I know Troy Deeney's been suspended for three matches, so he's probably quite refreshed anyway. But chance to play some fringe players with that sort of European route blocked off, and think right. Let's be as fresh and as full strength as we can for Wembley.
0: Yeah, I think so, Dan. I think you know, if you're Watford now, that's poss- you know that that's the view you're going down, isn't it? Um, and you'll look for that. So. So, yeah, if I'm honest with you, I think that's, um, that's what's happened there at Watford. They'll now start to look and save themselves for the uh, final. And obviously, you know, they'll hope to make him bring that trophy back to Vicarage Road because you can see them actually giving Man City a really good game. So I wouldn't be surprised now if we see them rest a few for the next few games.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they're firing all cylinders, it should make for a good contest. What wasn't a good contest was Palace versus Everton on Saturday, a goalless draw. So we're not even going to talk about that. And that pretty much wraps things up. That's uh, how many episodes we've got left? Two of the season left to go. So we're getting to the finishing line ourselves. Cole, thanks for another cracking 60 minutes or so. I really appreciate your time this afternoon.
0: No, really enjoyed it, Dan. Thank, thanks for having me on, mate.
1: Not a problem, mate. We'll speak again soon. And it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye.